episode 83 of the State of the Old Republic podcast, was originally recorded on July 30th, 2018. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. This week on the show, the Rishi Hideout is the largest and most innovative stronghold ever built. I'll tell you why you'll want to get your hands on this thing when Game Update 592 goes live. Rishi PvP is all about fun, and that could be a problem. I'll tell you what I mean later in the show. Finally this week, KOTOR turns 15, James Olin leaves Bioware, cartel market reps are changing, and I've got some Star Wars news to share as well. And with that, it's time to make the jump to Lightspeed and check out the state of the Old Republic. Welcome to episode 83 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. Game Update 592 goes live on August 7th. It was supposed to go live on July 31st, but was delayed a week so Bioware could get in some critical changes to the Rishi Stronghold. While we hate seeing content delayed, the Rishi Stronghold is the centerpiece of Game Update 592, and having seen it firsthand on the PTS, it's one you'll be anxious to get your hands on. If Mos Eisley is a wretched hive of scum and villainy, then Rishi is a seedy shanty town of scoundrels and pirates. Rishi is fraught with danger, and that makes it the perfect place for brave adventurers to visit. And now, thanks to the Rishi Stronghold, it's the perfect place for brave adventurers to live. The Rishi Stronghold is the biggest and most expensive stronghold to date. It's also the most innovative. What makes Rishi stand apart from other strongholds, it's not its size or cost, it's that it supports player-run PvP events, even Hutball. I spent the last few weeks on the PTS exploring this pirate's paradise. Rishi? I've heard of Rishi. It's a planet. Some kind of pirate resort? Sounds like a real dive. I've kind of always wanted to go. That's Vet right before embarking on one of our greatest adventures, the hunt for Revan. Rishi is a tropical planet in the Outer Rim. It's where you go if you want to get off the grid, but it's a safe haven for no one. Raider's Cove is the central town on Rishi and is a hub of underworld activity. The Rishi, an avian species native to the planet, can often be found interacting with the local pirates. Oh, I like your little friend there. He sure has taken an interest in me. How cute. My monkey lizard? Oh, he's just wondering what you must taste like. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, he pretty much knows already. If the pirates and gangs aren't trying to kill you, the wildlife is. Lurking in the jungles are Skarklas, raptors, and wampas. Yes, wampas. Even the groffits, the rotund pig-like creatures, want to go to town on your face. Vet called Rishi a pirate resort, and that's exactly the setting for the Rishi stronghold. It's the perfect mix of a brawler town and treasure island. 
When you first enter the stronghold, you're treated to the usual intro cinematic. You're taken on an aerial tour of all the places you can explore, and there are a lot of them. Twelve expansions in all. There are speeders to help you get around, and for the first time ever, you can now set your point of entry into the stronghold. The base hideout, which costs two and a half million credits, includes a small PvP arena and a resort area. The resort area has a beautiful white sand beach, and there is a tiny island you can wade to in the middle of the cove. The setting for the stronghold is early sunset. The sun sits high enough in the sky that you can still sit on the beach and catch a few rays, and yet there is a sense that the day is winding down. On the beach, there is a small trail that leads towards the jungle. If you follow it, you'll find a large rock formation with a strange device sitting in front of it. Activate the device and... A hidden cave is revealed. Inside the cave is an elevator that will take you to the Overlook, a small three-bedroom apartment that serves as living quarters for the hideout. Just outside the living area is a large balcony, which offers a breathtaking view of the resort area. If you're in a hurry to get back to the beach, there is a rope that you can use to repel down. While on the beach, you can't help but notice the beautiful ambient sounds of Rishi. They really make the stronghold come to life. There's the jungle. And the sounds of the waves lapping on the shore are every bit as relaxing as the real thing. The stronghold comes with a few surprises and hidden secrets. Walking on the beach is Speedy. Speedy is a small turtle who patrols the shore, happily foraging for whatever it is turtles eat. Speedy is absolutely adorable, and even the meanest of Sith will see their heart grow three sizes at just the sight of him. Be careful not to get too attached to him, though. There is a hidden achievement called Not So Speedy, and it reads, Manage to get Speedy eaten within your Rishi stronghold. Fortunately for Speedy, no one has figured out how to make that happen just yet. The secret, however, may lie within the cove expansion of the stronghold. You see, there is a small canal that divides the main hideout and the cove expansion. At one end of the canal is a closed gate to the beach. At the other end is a closed gate housing a giant mud crab. There's a note pinned to the gate that reads, Caution! Do not open! It's always hungry. If the beach area is a natural paradise, then the cove expansion is a scavenger's paradise. The buildings are run-down, abandoned structures of rusting metal. One building has a room named the Sun Room because the roof of the building has been torn off. Near the Cove Expansion Speeder Point is a seemingly unreachable area. If you manage to discover a way in, you'll find an inconspicuous marker, two logs on the ground lying on top of each other. In true pirate fashion, X marks the spot, and you can click on the marker for your reward. The Hideout and the Cove Expansion make for an awesome stronghold on their own, but there's more. Hovering in the sky just above the setting sun is a ship, your ship. The patrol carrier is the centerpiece for organized PvP and where players looking to brawl will spend most of their time. On the carrier's main deck is a giant arena. Here you can organize 8v8 team deathmatch or hutball. The arena is a giant open space that you will need to decorate if you want to have compelling matches. There is a new arena hook type and there is currently only one decoration you can place on it, the large training arena. You can purchase it and many other PvP-oriented decorations from the martial decoration droid on the fleet. 
Teams need to be organized by group, and there are team color markers, purple for rotworms and orange for frog dogs, to help identify teammates from opponents. Baron Deathmark provides introductions and color commentary as frog dogs and rotworms battle it out. There are terminals to bolster your character, and if you just want to watch the action unfold, you can take control of a camera droid and move freely about the arena floor. There are two additional areas that support PvP. The first is a small arena in the main hideout, perfect for 4v4 battles. It has gates you can put up to limit the size of the arena, and there is a small observation deck for players to watch the action. The Cove expansion has a small dueling ring suited for 1v1. If you're not into PvP, you don't have to participate. You can toggle it off and treat Rishi as if it were any other stronghold. But as you can see, Rishi isn't just any other stronghold. I believe it was Yoda who said, always be yourself unless you can be a pirate. Then always be a pirate. The Rishi stronghold encourages you to break out your Raider's Cove body armor and get your pirate on. And best of all, you can do it with friends. The success of Rishi PvP rests entirely in the hands of players. Bioware is giving us a giant sandbox to create our own arenas and organize events. Rishi may not be open-world PvP, but it's in the same family, and as we all know, open-world PvP hasn't fared well over the years. I've visited the Outlaw's Den on many occasions, and I've yet to see another player there, yet alone a full-on PvP brawl. Iocath, Bioware's latest attempt at open-world PvP, was met with great anticipation, but fell short of expectations and did not meet the vision Bioware had for this daily area. Unlike regular PvP, the only incentive for players to participate in Rishi is for the fun of it. You can't queue for matches, you can't earn XP, CXP, or Valor. You can't advance weekly or daily missions, and there are no unassembled components or other rewards to be had. There is only the novelty of dueling with friends in their custom-created courses. I don't doubt it will be fun, but it's not clear that players will be willing to settle for a meaningless pickup game when they can group together for real competition and rewards. I wrote about this on the SOTOR podcast blog, and here's what some of you had to say about it. Zen wrote, Well, in some ways it might be a problem, but in other ways, the fun aspect of it will be helpful. Guild events, organized competitions, training events for new players, or just time-filling events while waiting for queue pops. All just fun events. Paul Sutherland wrote, I think they'll get bombarded with requests for the PvP feature to be added to other strongholds, possibly the flagships. There is no question that players are looking forward to Rishi PvP, and I like that Bioware continues to swing for the fences with their content. Whether or not this will be a home run remains to be seen. Game Update 592 was the first patch made available for open testing since, well, let's just say it's been a long time. Although it resulted in the patch getting delayed a week, it was a resounding success. Players got to preview the content well ahead of its release, 
they also got to go head-to-head -head against the developers while testing out the Warzone changes. More importantly, players had the opportunity to provide feedback on the content prior to its release. Not only that, but they got to see the changes from that feedback implemented on the PTS. The beautiful white sand beach started off as brown muck with a view, the cove expansion was a junkyard that rivaled Jakku, and decorations did not respect line of sight. All of these changes were a direct result of player feedback, perhaps none so profound as the addition of the Overlook expansion. Early in the process, Charles Boyd reported on the forums that it couldn't be done. But then, in the final build, there appeared the Overlook expansion, a three-bedroom apartment with a beautiful view of the cove. So what happened? According to Charles Boyd, Many passionate stronghold lovers have requested a more homey space in the Rishi hideout. I mentioned in a post last week that we would not be able to make that happen for release, but that the dev team really took that feedback to heart. Turns out they took it so much to heart that the team went way above and beyond to get a new area added in record time so that we could include it in the extra PTS round. So please load in, check it out, and maybe throw a bit of love the stronghold team's way for making it happen. I don't know what would have happened if Game Update 592 didn't go up on the PTS, but it probably would not have been good. I shudder to think how players would have reacted if the line of sight issue for decorations had gone live. It would have ruined the entire Rishi PvP experience. I don't know how many players participated in the PTS, but it was enough for Bioware to gather valuable feedback and then turn around and make changes. And if they want to avoid delaying future patches, maybe Bioware needs to take a page out of Blizzard's playbook and not announce a release date until they know the patch is ready. At the end of the day, this was a big win for open testing. I now want to talk about some changes that are coming to the cartel market. You see, once upon a time, cartel packs were associated with reputations. Things like the Contraband Resale Corporation and the Bounty Supply Company. There are six cartel market reputations in all, and each one has a special vendor on the fleet, where you can purchase items with a special currency called Cartel Market Certificates. Eventually, Bioware decided to stop making Cartel Market reputations, and as Cartel Packs were embargoed, players could no longer earn those reputations or that special currency. This created a situation where players were left with incomplete reputations and Cartel Market Certificates collecting dust in cargo holds because they were afraid to spend them. In Game Update 592, all of this is about to change. All current cartel market reputations will be merged into a single reputation, the Underworld Exchange. Any progress earned towards existing reputations will get applied to the new reputation. As Eric Musco pointed out, if you are a legend right now in any CM rep, you will be a legend in Underworld Exchange. If you are a champion in two of the reps, those values will be combined and could even rank you up. If you're someone like me who has reached legend status with some, but not all, of the CM reputations, this is good news. You will now have the reputation status to purchase any item for sale from the reputation vendors. So, how do you earn Ultimate Exchange Rep in Cartel Market Certificates? Underworld Exchange Reputation Tokens will be a guaranteed drop from Ultimate Packs, and Cartel Market Certificates will be added as a rare drop. If you have access to the Contraband Slot Machine, you can win tokens that will advance your Underworld Exchange reputation. Currently, it drops tokens for the Contraband Resale Corporation. The reputation vendors can be found in the Cartel Market Bazaar on your fleet.
Writing a story that's disconnected from the film era, but is undeniably Star Wars, is no small feat, but Knights of the Old Republic did just that. KOTOR left an indelible mark on the Star Wars universe that helped transform it from a simple faraway galaxy into a paracosm that may live longer than any of us. Today, I want to explore how KOTOR became Star Wars. It was 15 years ago that fans took their first steps into the wondrous world known as the Old Republic. Set in Star Wars' distant past, Knights of the Old Republic was the first Star Wars story to introduce us to characters and events that had nothing to do with the mighty Skywalker bloodline and the evil Galactic Empire. There were no X-Wings, TIE Fighters, or Stormtroopers. There was no Millennium Falcon or Death Star. The most iconic characters, factions, and ships, the things that most defined Star Wars, we're now missing from a world that claimed to be Star Wars. Therein lies the biggest hurdle the game had to clear, convincing fans that they were living in the Star Wars universe and not some generic sci-fi world with characters wielding laser swords instead of lightsabers. KOTOR was released in 2003 when the prequels were still being made. Although that story wasn't finished, the prequels created enough of a foundation from which KOTOR could be built. In many ways, KOTOR was the natural evolution of the prequel era a world where Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic, and a world where they faced not two Sith Lords, but an entire empire of Sith. This ancient battle between Jedi and Sith was set on familiar planets such as Tatooine, Dantooine, and Kashyyyk. There were familiar archetype characters such as bounty hunters, smugglers, and Jedi. There were classic aliens such as Transdotians, Wookiees, and Rodians. And it had all of the requisite technology, like blasters, lightsabers, and starships launching into hyperspace. All of this came together to create the veneer of Star Wars. Without the right story, though, all of this was just window dressing. What really made KOTOR Star Wars was the idea that heroes do not defeat evil on their own. They have friends to help them along the way. Luke needed Han and Leia to defeat the Empire. Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Padme did their level best to defeat the Separatists in the Clone Wars. In the case of KOTOR, Revan, Bastilashan, HK-47, and a host of others worked to defeat Darth Malak. Toss in a compelling twist for the story's main character, Revan, and you have all of the elements that make KOTOR unequivocally a Star Wars story. Knights of the Old Republic was a resounding success, In time, characters like Revan and HK-47 and worlds such as Terrace worked their way into the fabric of Star Wars lore. The Last Jedi virtually canonized Revan, albeit in a vague and peripheral way. An object in Luke's home on Octu can be traced back to the Jedi Crusaders, aka the Revankists. The Crusaders were a group of rogue Jedi who split from the Jedi Council to follow Revan during the Mandalorian Wars. Terrace was also the focus of an interlude in Chuck Wendig's Aftermath, and Tinra Pomlo from Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, was a senator from Terrace. Wendig also wanted to write an interlude that focused on HK-47, but the idea was scrapped. Instead, he settled for having his droid creation, Mr. Bones, pay homage to the Old Republic's favorite homicidal droid when Mr. Bones exclaims, 
prepare to fire all cannons. Commentary. I say we blast the meat bag and save you the trouble, Master. Ryan Johnson is working on a new Star Wars trilogy that will be set in a part of the galaxy that has never been explored. In an interview with the LA Times, Johnson talked about the challenge of defining Star Wars outside of the Skywalker story. Johnson said, It's fun because it's kind of thinking, okay, outside of the Skywalker story and outside of the recognizable iconography, what is this? What is Star Wars? Or what do we need to retain from that to pull forward for it to still be Star Wars? And what can we leave behind? They're all big questions that need to be thought of. And even the ones that we don't know the answers to are things we need to figure out if Star Wars is going to be vital and alive moving forward and not just be a waxworks. We're going to have to figure out how to tell vital new stories. As Ryan Johnson attempts to figure this out, he may want to book a trip to Austin, Texas, for Bioware answering the question, what is Star Wars outside of the era of the films, is just another Tuesday. With 15 years of experience under their belt, they might just have the answers that Johnson is looking for. It's hard to believe that KOTOR is now 15 years old. If you've never experienced the game, you can find it on places such as Steam. The story still holds up today, and you won't be disappointed if you give it a try. One last bit of SWOTOR news for today, James Olin has left Bioware. Here's his announcement from Twitter. After 22 years, I have retired from Bioware. I loved my time with Anthem, Star Wars, Dragon Age, and Dungeons and Dragons. But I need to take a break from the industry and work on something a little smaller and more personal. James was a longtime Bioware employee and one of the original faces on Star Wars The Old Republic. I believe he's the one that first referred to Galactic Starfighter as their super secret space project back when it was under development. James is another in a long line of notable people who have left the company, and I can't help but feel that with his departure, the last remnants of the Old Republic have been swept away. I wish James the best of luck in his future endeavors. I now want to switch gears and cover some Star Wars news. San Diego Comic-Con was a couple of weeks ago. One of the highlights was the Clone Wars 10-year anniversary panel, where fans were treated to an unexpected surprise. You see, there's a whole generation of fans whose introduction to Star Wars was the Clone Wars animated series. Each week they'd tune into Cartoon Network to catch the adventures of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker. On March 7, 2014, Clone Wars fans heard this for the last time. When the final credits rolled, millions of fans cried out in, well, they just cried. The Clone Wars were over, but the story was not. Over the next 10 years, those cries from fans turned into pleas to bring the show back. Well, those pleas have finally been answered. During San Diego Comic-Con, Lucasfilm announced they were making 12 more episodes of The Clone Wars, and it looks to be great. 
Now, The Clone Wars won't air on Disney XD like Star Wars Rebels. Instead, it will be part of Disney's new streaming service, which is set to launch sometime in 2019. There's always a catch. There was also some Episode 9 news that broke this week. Filming on the final chapter of the new trilogy begins on August 1st. Can't make a movie without a cast, and Episode 9 has a good one. Of course, you knew that Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaacs, Adam Driver, and Domino Gleeson would all be back. There are three newcomers, Carrie Russell, Richard E. Grant, and Naomi Ackie. The cast also has some notable veterans from the saga. Billy D. Williams will return to play Lando Calrissian. The big question here is, will he survive? Mark Hamill is returning to play Luke Skywalker. And no, I don't think J.J. Abrams is remaking The Last Jedi here. I would expect Luke to be a Force ghost or part of some flashback sequence. And then there's this bombshell. Carrie Fisher will be back as Princess Leia. I'm not calling her general. According to StarWars.com, this is how they will handle it. The role of Leia Organa will once again be played by Carrie Fisher, using previously unreleased footage shot from Star Wars The Force Awakens. We desperately loved Carrie Fisher, says Abrams. Finding a truly satisfying conclusion to the Skywalker saga without her eluded us. We were never going to recast or use a CG character. With the support and blessing from her daughter, Billy, we have found a way to honor Carrie's legacy and role as Leia in Episode 9 by using unseen footage we shot together in Episode 7. It will be fascinating to see what they do here. It's interesting that they're only using footage from The Force Awakens and not anything from The Last Jedi. Could mean that her role is small and that when looking at the footage, they had everything they needed from Episode 7. Episode 9 is set to release on December 19th, 2019. Final note for today, I haven't forgotten about my story project. I've completed Bell Savis, but I'm still parsing through all of the footage. Navigating the story is as challenging as navigating the planet. I know it's a prison, but would it have killed anyone to have blown a few more holes into a few more walls? And that's the state of the Old Republic for today. Let me cut on the sublight engines and cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 83 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitchers, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show's site, which is SotorPodcast.com, and there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at SOTORpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at SOTORpodcast or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for episode 84, I don't know, next week. Till then, remember the Sith code. Cake is a lie.